Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Mike. Lauren. When you first started at Wired... Back in the last century, <laughs> there was no slack. Uh, you mean we weren't given any slack? No. I mean, well, yes. But I mean, you were not using real-time, nonstop chat apps to talk to people across the newsroom. You had to email them. You had to get a, walk over to their desk and talk to their faces. <laughs> yes, we used, we used email. Uh -huh. uh, we also used Gchat for a while. Uh, but I think the big one was HipChat. Uh, it was the real uh, stone age of journalism. Would you say the introduction of Slack has been a net positive? Oh, absolutely. Like For me, other than the browser, it's the tool that I use the most, and I'm sure it is for many people. It is for me, too. Well, Slack is turning 10 years old this year. So for this episode, I thought we'd bring in the person who chronicled it from the very beginning. I am very excited. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I'm Michael Calori. I'm Wired's director of consumer tech and culture. And we're joined this week by Matt Honan, the editor-in-chief of MIT Technology Review and a former Wired one. Hi, Matt. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I love this show. And to be here with both of you, it's just great. We should note, Matt, that you like helped start this show. <laughs> Did I? <laughs> Are you sure? I am, yeah. Tell the people, how did it happen? Uh, well, you know, the Gadget Lab started as a video show a very, very long time ago, and then it shut down. And Matt Honan and I, when we were working together here at Wired, um, sort of restarted it as a audio talk talk podcast like it is now. Was it called Gadget Lab? It was, yes. Matt, welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> I think the last time I was here, it was talking about that specifically. It was, yes. That was our anniversary that show. That was our anniversary show. All right. Well, let's talk about Slack's anniversary. 
Matt, one of the reasons why we wanted to bring you back in, aside from the fact that we just adore you, is that you wrote the first big piece for Wired about Slack. This was back in 2014, and your story was titled, I love this title, The Most Fascinating Profile You'll Ever Read About a Guy and His Boring Startup. And it really was fascinating. I mean, one, because Slack itself was a giant pivot from another tech product. And two, because it totally changed workplace communications. I don't think I'm overstating that. First, though, for people who aren't on Slack, whose companies or jobs haven't required them to use it, I was hoping that, Matt, you would describe it for people in its most simple and also sociological terms. Sure. It's just a chat app at its heart. That's all it is. It's a way for people to talk to each other using text. Um it has both public channels, or I should say big channels that you can use publicly within your organization and private channels that you can set to communicate with a smaller group privately, as well as direct messaging that you can use to talk to just, you know, another individual. It also has an expanding roster of communications things. You can now make basically phone calls or video calls using it. You can plug in all kinds of other applications you can do a lot of stuff, you know, outside of that core chat function, but that's what we use it for. It's it's communications. It's just communication software. There's something about it, though, that's like candy, right? Like the way that people look at iPhone apps on their phone and they're like, oh, colors. I'm attracted to it. I can't stop looking at it. Slack has that element. It does. Like people, it's 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 well-made software. You know, it uh, it the one of the things that I got into in that story a long time ago is the people who were creating it tried to put a bunch of heart into it. They tried to to make it joyful in some ways. And and it's a pleasant experience to use. I mean, it, it does a great job of syncing it, uh, you know, so that you can you can pick it up on your phone and you're right where you left off when it's on the desktop. Um, it, it's, you know, it doesn't do a bunch of unexpected things. I don't have to shut it down and restart it all the time, like say some browsers. Uh, it doesn't run up, you know, the the my system usage. It's 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 great software. If I have complaints about it, it's that it it's changed the way we work so much, you know, I mean, we kind of knew it was going to change the way we worked, but it did it to such a degree. And I think especially um, because so many people had Slack during the pandemic, it became really easy to just think of work as something you never left because Slack enables that. You know, when you wrote the original profile back in 2014, obviously we didn't know any of the things that Slack was going to bring into the workplace. So what was it about the company that made you want to dig in and profile them? I mean, honestly, when I was initially thinking about the story I wanted to write, I didn't have a specific company in mind. I wanted to write about the kind of like a buzzy startup. And I was especially interested in looking at people who were doing a second thing, mm. you know? And so like, I thought about Asana uh, because uh, one of its founders was a Facebook founder. I thought about um, looking at what Ev Williams was doing. I thought about these other things, but Slack was at the moment was had so much hype and so much buzz plus it was also like good you know i mean it was it was a it was a it was a tool that i would want to use myself that i did use myself that i liked you know you were t you mentioned hip chat earlier i thought it was just far and away better than the other things i'd used like it such as hip chat or campfire and it 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 seemed like it was going places it was one of andreessen horowitz's big investments the startup founder I knew, uh, the guy Stuart Butterfield, I knew had an interesting backstory. Um, and so I just thought they would be very interesting in addition to, to, to the other stuff. Give us the TLDR on Stuart's backstory. 
Uh, Stuart is the child of, um, of someone who deserted from the army during the Vietnam War, who initially grew up in a commune in British Columbia, uh, got into computers at a young age, started a gaming company. The gaming company uh, kind of crapped out, but they pulled a product out of the gaming company and that became Flickr, which he and his uh, then his now ex-wife, Katarina Fake, they had founded it together. They sold it to Yahoo for, I believe, 25 million bucks or somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, after a few years at Yahoo, he went back with his original, I think, CTO. I could be getting some of the, some of the details wrong on Cal, but he, he and Cal Henderson, who, who he had worked with also at Flickr um, and Yahoo became, uh, they started this gaming company again, basically to, to, to revisit this original idea for this original game. That they had had back in the early 2000s it didn't do well once again a second time it was called glitch um and at this point though they they they, they once again they had created this internal communication system that they thought was really great it wasn't that different from irc internet relay chat which is like a long time protocol that you can use to chat on the internet but it was different enough and they put enough uh enough into it that they thought they had something really cool here and they uh they basically laid off the glitch team and restarted the company with a, with a handful of folks and that became slack and so within a relatively short amount of time, it felt like all the companies were using Slack, right? In media, we used it, Vox, BuzzFeed, Medium, Gawker. We're going to get to Gawker. We're all using it. But then there were bigger companies, eBay, PayPal, Dow Jones, Expedia, Nordstrom. And you, you list this on that Stripe, Venmo, Shutterstock. It goes on and on and on. We were all super into Slack. Do you remember a point at which you started to think, maybe there's too much Slack out there in our work lives. Like one, maybe it would be nice to go back to email and not have such frantic communications. Or maybe it's not safe to have all of our real-time thoughts on a real-time chat app. Uh, yes, it was probably within a year of this story. Um, I was, uh, when I wrote this, I was a, I was a, I was a reporter at Wired. And then I went on and and started at BuzzFeed, where I was running their their uh, their their tech desk, right? And I became a manager. In addition to being a uh, in addition to being you know someone who just used Slack, I now manage people who use Slack. And like one of my first or, or very early on at uh, BuzzFeed, I was asked by one reporter to ask another reporter to not put Goatsy in the Slack anymore, <laughs> um, and. <laughs> I, I I just found like consistently over the next seven years at uh, BuzzFeed, like there would just be so many problems that arose from Slack, and they could arise from uh, you know someone not seeing something. There's sort of this expectation that people have seen things and carefully read them. It could come from someone misinterpreting something someone said. It could come from someone crossing a boundary, like posting Goatsy in there, um, you know. And you would see like just all these sort of workplace behaviors. Um, getting, you know, that, that were that were miscommunications effectively um, being amplified by Slack, and and then once you know, it, it also wasn't that long before you started seeing Slack enabling the twenty four seven work culture, especially when it's on your phone. You know, right. and you get a Slack at ten p.m. It's a lot harder to ignore that than getting an email at ten p.m. And that really, I thought, just absolutely took off in twenty twenty when everybody started working from home. Like that, mm -hmm. like it really went crazy at that point, and. Uh, so, but, but to go back to your question, yeah, I mean, within a year or so of writing this, I was like, God, there's, there's just, this is too much. 
This is way too much. I mean, I still <laughs> liked it though. I mean, I, I prefer it to, I still prefer it to other software, you know, chat software things. And I think, I think it's kind of necessary. So uh, people may not know this and maybe it's apocryphal, but Slack is actually an acronym, the searchable log of all content and knowledge. Is that correct? Did I write that? No, it's I just, think it's just, it's, it's just known. Yeah. It's just, it's just something, on the interweb. Something that's out there. But I think that people don't think about it that way because it is so informal and it is at its heart a chat app. Yeah. There's this sort of casualness to it. Right. I think, you know, one of the things that people forget is that everything that they type in into Slack is remembered and it's searchable yeah. and it can be brought up later. Uh, we have seen instances uh, in the past of Slack conversations showing up in court cases. Yep. I mean, I think like, you know, it doesn't always have to be Slack. For example, uh, Gawker, a big thing that happened in that in that defamation case was that they, uh, the the Hulk Hogan's attorneys pulled out some of the conversations that had happened um, among editors and Campfire, similar tool to Slack. But there's there's also like a really famous, uh, I'm not going to name the two media companies, but I, I think a little, like two minutes of Googling could help you find this, a, a, a relatively well-known example where one media company purchased another media company and they integrated their Slacks. And the company uh, that had been acquired, those reporters found things that that other reporters and editors have been saying about them. Um, <laughs> it uh, happened to journey. me. It happened to you. Yes, it happens. Yes. Well, I was part of the Recode team, and then Recode mm -hmm. was acquired by Vox Media. Uh, we were all users of Slack at that point, and so the Recode team was integrated into Vox's team, and and. Uh, I remember all of us running a search for our names to see what folks at Vox had been saying about us beforehand. And I remember before we joined and I remember um, I I was not, for what it's worth, like not a very good photographer. I'm not a professional photographer. I'm a writer. And uh, I found someone in the Verge Slack just totally tearing apart my the photos I had taken at a Ouch. press event. Oh, Ouch. but they were terrible. I mean, it was fine. I had a good laugh about it. But Still. yeah, I mean, if that was the worst. But yeah, there could be a lot worse things in there, certainly. I was just going to say, I would have thought you would, I, not about you personally, but but that particular integration that you're talking about, I can see all kinds of, of, <laughs> of fraught things that may have been said by by people on either, in either team, um, really. There is a mythical event that we often refer to as the great slackening, which is when Slack gets hacked and everybody's Slacks become public and uh, you can go buy like, you know, you see a future where you could go like buy all of the New York Times Slack logs ever for a price. Well, yeah. I mean, so, you know, one of the things that I almost always do in workplaces now is put put slacks on a rolling delete, which you can mm -hmm. do, hmm. um, especially for anything that where the conversations conversations are often the type of conversations you may not necessarily want uh, to have be tossed out in um you know in in a in a in a leak somewhere that 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 you don't you know or that or that it could, be, could come up in discovery that you don't have made public you know i mean there there are all kinds of reasons to do that um i, I when you see leaks that reporters or reporters are writing about a company they often come from a slack right they come from slack chats that, mm -hmm. that someone has searched up and found and screenshot it and sent to a reporter yeah yeah the irony of one of that is i remembered that being part of the narrative about the Away luggage company. What happened with Away? On there, Slack? Would, there were uh, Slack chats that were shared with the press that were Slacks from the CEO of the company that were interpreted by some people to be problematic. Now, there's mm -hmm. a big question about whether or not that was actually the case. 
She happened to be a woman CEO. There were also there was also some blowback that maybe people were being unfair to her. Um, Matt, have you personally had any experience where you wrote a Slack or a series of Slacks that you would that you've regretted or that you would be mortified by in the great slackening were it to happen? I mean, I'm positive I've written stuff that I would be mortified by if if the great slackening ever happened. We all have, like everyone has. Yes. Um, there's 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 no one with a clean conscience for that. Um, I have never had, to my knowledge, any of my Slack communications leaked or or used somewhere. Actually, that's not true. Actually, I say that that's not true. Um, I just re- remember, yeah, there was something that I wrote in a Slack that was leaked at at one point to. Um, to a reporter at a publication, but I'm not going to say what 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 that publication was because it was I wasn't identified, and, and I'm glad to not be identified, honestly. <laughs> but uh, it, it's you know it 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 is such a it is such a pain in that regard. There's a flip side to it too. There's a management side to it as well, right? Like the, like what we're talking about. You're talking about sort of like oh, you don't want this, uh, you know, as a as a as a user of Slack. It's dangerous because these things can be exposed and presented in ways which they weren't, um, you know, in which they weren't intended when I was writing them. But there's also the flip side, which is that employers can use it to surveil their employees. And they do. Um, and and they can they can certainly take things, an employer can take something out of context just as, you know, as you can as a as a worker can use it to weaponize something against their manager. And there, there are certainly cases where people have been fired because of things they said on Slack, which they maybe thought were private. Um, I know that uh, one uh, way that like comms professionals use to try to identify leakers is if there are Slack screenshots, they look at things, they look for evidence of who's logged in. They can look at things even like the emoji reactions to a certain Slack and whoever, you know, who can see those and at what times they are, they can, they can help them zero in on the, on who they think the leaker is. There are all kinds of ways that this is not just communication software, it's surveillance software. Hmm. That is an excellent point. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about the future of Slack, or should we call it Slack Force? This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hackers and cyber criminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play. I'm Dina Temple Raston, and on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them. We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it. Click Here, stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. AI machines, satellite, engine ignition, click here, and liftoff. Click here, every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Slack may have started as a scrappy startup, but it is far from that now. In 2021, Slack was acquired by Salesforce for $27.7 billion. That's a lot of giffies. Sorry, that's a Slack joke. But... As with a lot of acquisitions, that means that things have changed a little bit 
since the small app was absorbed into the giant CRM company whose phallic building sticks out in the San Francisco skyline. There have been reports of culture clashes. The founding team at Slack is no longer there. So is this going to change the product that we all love, hate, love to hate, hate to love? Has it already changed? Matt, what are your thoughts on this? I think it's pretty telling that uh, everybody who was involved with that acquisition is gone. You know, the um, from a report that I read at, uh, you know, in the information, I remember reading that Mark Benioff had sort of like distanced himself from that acquisition, that he was uh, essentially, I'm not sure, who's the who's the departed Salesforce co-CEO? I'm, I'm blanking. Brett but, Taylor. Uh, yep. Uh, he was he was sort of putting it as, as Taylor's thing. But now Taylor's gone. Butterfield's gone. Cal's gone. I mean, a lot of these people who you think of as being, you know, the architects of that are gone. And you would assume that. Salesforce didn't spend almost $28 billion on this without some ideas about what they want to do with it. And those might be very different ideas uh, than than the than Slack had itself when it was an independent company. I mean, I don't know. I don't have any insight mm -hmm. into what they're thinking, mm -hmm. but I know if I spend whenever I spend $27.7 billion on something, I usually have opinions about what I want to do with it. Right. The <laughs> last time you did, I think you had very strong opinions about that yeah. acquisition that you made. Yeah, I mean, I think fundamentally, it you wonder if it changes the incentive structure, what they actually want their customers to do in the software, how they plan to monetize that. Because my understanding, and Matt, you'd probably know better of Slack over the years, is that ultimately Slack wouldn't really care how much time you spent in the app. Once you were a paying customer, they wanted to keep you in there by just providing a service and providing the best experience that they could. If you were in for 12 hours a day versus four hours a day as a customer, it didn't really matter, right? But sometimes... Software billing can work differently than that. I think, yeah, I mean, I think one of the interesting things about certainly Slack in the early days was that a lot of their strategy was around making a great product that they thought people would start using kind of from the bottom up in an organization versus going in and having to go to some, uh, you know, whoever the IT director is at a company who's been dealing with Microsoft for 20 years and just wants to deal with Microsoft and, and, and Slack's idea was, okay. We can make this software that people like so much that they're going to go to their boss and say, hey, I really wish we'd get this. Everybody's using it. And the boss makes the case to the IT director and it, and it, and it grows that way. And I know as, the, as it, I know things didn't stay that way and they Slack developed its own huge uh, sales department, all that kind of stuff. But, it, but that was, I, I think you take a lot from that early culture of building something great and getting everybody to use it. My view of Salesforce, uh, which, you know, I, I don't, I don't use very much Salesforce software because I'm not in sales, but you know, a lot of it is, uh, sort of the, a, a different approach. It's bundling software products together when they're selling it is we'll give you this and this and this and this Slack is one of those things now, you know, it's, it's, it's not a, you know, it's not this incredible standalone company anymore. Um, and so you have to imagine that the incredible standalone product is going to start becoming increasingly something that, that that works really well with other Salesforce things and becomes a value add. That's that's just a guess, but but seems likely. I think that's also the playbook of all of their competition, right? Probably the biggest piece of competition for Slack right now comes from Teams, Microsoft Teams. Microsoft bundles Teams in with all of your other Office software needs. Uh, and it seems like that is a really good strategy for them. And it's a good strategy for Salesforce to bundle it in. But I think the problem is that there's a lot of sort of money being left on the table for companies that are smaller. 
Um, I saw a tweet or a skeet. I can't remember which, and I can't remember from who, uh, and I apologize that I'm not giving proper credit here, but they said that, um, Slack is now too much hassle for a startup of five people and way too nightmarish for any company over 50 people. And that feels right because it's so feature rich and there's so much in there. It's the same thing with teams. There's so many like hurdles to adoption. It's not easy anymore to just open up an application and have a chat with somebody using these tools that were built so that you could easily have chats with people. Uh, they're big enterprise office tools now, and they are nightmarish to use. So it feels like, you know, they started small, Slack started small and it got big and it became a thing that big companies can use. And now the small companies are looking for a solution for small companies again. I'm curious, are you in Slack's other than uh, Wired's? Yes. Yes. Why do you ask? I ask that because I'm in several. I'm in like a uh, I'm in a professional media organization one. I'm in uh, I'm in like a like a sort of a extended friends group chat kind of thing. I'm in one with my uh, my triathlon club uh, uses it to communicate. Oh, are you I'm also in one the... with your Harvard club and your vegan club? No, uh, uh, Lauren, I work at MIT. <laughs> MIT Technology Review. I hope oh, people right, will right. subscribe. Okay. You can go to techreview.com slash subscribe. It is an, an amazing tech publication. Um, I'm sure all your <laughs> listeners would enjoy. Uh, so your triathlon, please tell us. Well, I mean, my point is just that like I think that I like I've never been invited to a Microsoft Teams. You know, like 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 these uh-huh. like these these free level uh things that people use, sort of like a chat solution for whatever little group that you have. People are still using Slack for that. I don't see them using Teams. I don't know. I could be wrong. There, there could be a whole lot of folks out there doing mm-hmm. that, but I haven't seen it. So it still has some cool factor, it sounds like you're saying. It does. And I think it's a thing that everybody uses for work already, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I, I don't you... even think of it as cool factor as much as just like it's easy to set up and easy to get people in it. You know. And like... Right. Right. I wonder how much AI is going to change some of this too, uh, because I don't know if you guys know this, but. People talk a lot about AI these days. <laughs> Matt from MIT Tech Review, I'm sure you're just getting up to speed on that. But um, Slack already uses AI, right? Like Slack uses the thing where when you go into the, all the people you could potentially direct message, it shows you the people you most often or are more likely to want to direct message. That's a form of AI, even if it's not gener- quote unquote generative AI sure. or not you queuing up something uh, using an active bot, right? But I do wonder, and particularly with Salesforce pushing more and more AI products, you get a like Dreamforce and it's all, you know, it's a, it's thumbnail upon thumbnail on screens on stage talking about their AI cloud. Like, I do wonder how much of that is going to be infused into Slack and change the experience in the future. I have a hard time thinking about what any real applications of generative AI are in the workplace. I just feel like it's so young that it's kind of hard to predict how it's going to fundamentally change something like Slack. I do think that, you know, we'll be interacting with bots more in Slack than we already are because the bots are going to get better. Like generative Mm -hmm. AI tech is going to make it easier for you to like submit an IT ticket and things like that, you know, in a year than it is right now. Interesting that that's your use case. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's the only place that I can really see 
those technologies being truly useful. I don't know. Like I think about something like Smart Compose or the the Smart Reply chips in Gmail. And when they first came out, I think I had a visceral reaction to them and thinking, oh, I would I don't know if I would use these. These are a little bit creepy, a little bit uncanny. Now I use them all the time. Yeah, Sounds see, good. Thanks. Yeah, I see. I still Sounds don't. good. Thanks. I still don't use them. So, well, you're a manager and <laughs> I am not, which is to say, I think maybe this is anecdotal, but perhaps I'm in a position more to respond in Slack to people than you like you are you're like, saying i just tell people what to do all the yeah, time yeah and i might be more like okay let me get that right to you or yep i'm diving into the draft again or um or uh can i push my deadline by another day you know and and like that's, that's when that would that would the no or the, the can i push the deadline thing is where the automatic no comes in really <laughs> that's handy, right, right that's right it's just it's a rubber stamp no <laughs> see so you're seeing the introduction of AI into these tools is something that's going to help you communicate with the people that you already communicate with. Efficiently. Yeah. Because the thing, because, well, this is the promise of AI that all of the techno optimists talk about, right? Allowing people to level up so they can actually do other more important things. But yeah, if I could spend any more time writing and not slacking and emailing, that would be great. Right. Yeah. Then you're just babysitting AI. So you're just spending the time selecting the the little chip to respond with right. instead of just having right. it respond for you. I mean, it's already pretty helpful when it says to you, or you haven't participated in the Slack channel in a long time. Would you like to just leave it? <laughs> yes, please. Right? Always say yes. Always say oh, for the most part. Yeah. So you're usually leaving too late. So, but also I, I agree with you and that the there's a lot of hype right now around generative AI and how it's going to change. It's going to change everything. And I'm not, I, it's probably something we can't totally envision yet. For Slack Force, and that was, which is now what I'm calling it, and how it's going to work for us there. I'm sure they would love to tell us. When they hear this, they're going to send us a long email <laughs> yes. listing all the things that they're uh, working yes. on. Yes. What do you think, Matt? I don't know. I mean, I think that uh, when I was just listening to both of you uh, there, I was thinking that it might do well to have something that recommended other tools. And I can see, I can see Slack Force definitely recommending us other tools. Like, oh, you're trying to... Uh, open a spreadsheet. Would you like us to import that into a mail merge for you or something? I don't know. Just just that kind of hook in with other tools mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in a more in a in a more automated fashion. Would it seems like it would make sense. But um, what's interesting that you say that specifically, Matt, to bring it back to your 2014 feature, you talk about how they didn't have email, and and then I think at the time Stuart Butterfield said we're working on integrating that, but still to this day, Slack is not an email platform. They it's yep. like just never became that. Uh, or cloud storage, right? It's not a place. I mean, they now have a, a canvas, but it's really not a place where you do like your Google Docs work or your Microsoft Word work, right? Um, is integration for them just that 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 pie in the sky idea that's like over 10 years been sort of realized, but not fully realized yet? I think so. You know, I mean, it's it. I went back and reread that story before coming on here. And aside from like noticing it was really long and thinking, man, if I, I really read this story differently now as an editor than I did as a writer. And I, 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 I and, and as an editor, I could see myself whacking like a third of that story. out. Anyway, there's a passage in there that talks about what they want to do is they really want to make it this big platform that, that works with all these other software and services. And you're right, that's never really fully happened. And I do think it's an idea that they have. I mean, they're always pushing their integrations that is better in theory than in reality obviously the killer app to hook in there is gmail right and that's that's hasn't happened it's not going to happen mm -hmm. there's and it's it's just it's it is today 10 years later what it was then a great chat tool 
Well, 10 years later, it really has changed the way that we work. It's changed a lot of workplaces in terms of real-time communications. And I think it's also emblematic of an era in tech of the early 2010s when things were exciting, things were new, things were frothy. And now we're living in a world where increasingly a lot of our experiences are just controlled by big tech. And I think we can count Salesforce as big tech. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take another quick break and we're going to come back with our recommendations. Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on, of course you do. Introducing The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes, authors, and scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Matt Honan, as our guest of honor, what's your recommendation for us? I have two. I have two recommendations. One is super boring, uh, and the other maybe is less so. But the super boring one, I'll, I'll go first with, which are air tags. Okay, I know that. I know they've been around for a while. I know that people are accustomed to them. But when you have, uh, when you have kids who you want to sort of keep track of, and you don't want to get your kids smartphones, and you want to see where they're going or what they're doing, or make sure that they actually yes got on the bus. Man, they're 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 pretty great, and especially when you have kids, and the kids also lose things that are valuable. Uh, man, I, I really love uh, I really love these incredibly invasive little devices called AirTags. That's a good one. Uh, do your kids not have smartphones? They do not. My older daughter has a flip phone. Nice. Cool. They have surfboards, but not smartphones. Rad. They, they do not even have an Apple Watch. Yeah. <laughs> and what's your second recommendation? My second recommendation is the chat GPT sticker bot. It is great. And it's just all it is, is it, I mean, it, it really is just, it's really just a little bit of a, of a dolly interface. Um, but I've made so many stickers um, that you can now find around San Francisco in various places. Um, and uh, like the, the one that I, I'm, I'm sitting here holding is one for my, my kids, little surf team, not little surf team, but, but there, but there, there's, there's, they have like a, a, a two different surfing groups they're in, but one of them's called sunset sirens. And uh, it's just a bunch of kids who surf together, and I made them all stickers with a with a terrifying skeleton surfing, uh, and had them printed up for them, and and they love them. And it's really easy, and and your orders are fulfilled through Sticker Mule, and it's the only useful GPT plugin that I've tried. So it it designs a sticker for you based on like whatever your prompt is. Can you do revisions? Oh yeah. So like for this one, I just kept saying, make it scarier, make it scarier. <laughs> Actually, this is for a 13 year old. Please don't make it so sexualized type of stuff. I see. I see. And then you just like, when you get one you like, you just hit the button and then they send you like 50 of them or a hundred of them. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's, it's, you can it send your order off to sticker mule, but I, I've actually, yeah, I, I usually make a few revisions myself in Photoshop and then send it. Nice. Excellent. But it gets, it gets you 90% of the way. It's great. And you do have to subscribe to ChatGPT Plus to use apps like that, right? So you, you'd pay $20 a month for that. I think that's correct. I, 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 is it 20 bucks? I was thinking it was 25 but yeah, it's, 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 it's paid. 
Well, I'm not paying anything. I'm just going to ask Matt to do it for me. Sure. I can do it for you, too. <laughs> okay, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for those, Matt. That's great. And because we like you so much, you get to. Mike, what's your recommendation? I just have one. It's a podcast. Uh, I've been obsessed with this podcast lately. Uh, I've been listening to almost nothing but it in 2024. It is called Raw Impressions. And it's uh, a husband and wife show. Uh, the hosts are Lou Barlow and his wife, Adele Barlow. And if you know Lou Barlow, um, you're probably ready for Centrum Silver. Uh, <laughs> Lou is a member of the band Dinosaur Jr. He's also the member of the band Sebado. Uh, both of these bands were, were very big uh, in the 1980s and 1990s and are still big today. Uh, but Lou is, you know, he's a he's a, like a celebrity in the in the indie rock world, uh, and his wife Adele um, is uh, a a crafter and a creator and his co-host, and they have wonderful uh, on mic chemistry. They talk about their family, uh, their kids. They talk about music. They talk about Lou's tours that he goes on with his various musical projects. They went on tour themselves this fall. It. It doesn't really have like a theme necessarily. It's just a fun hang. Uh, it's my favorite kind of podcast where they just you you just get two hosts who can talk to each other and let them go. Um, they do sort of have mini themes within the show. They do um, mini music Mondays and tiny tunes Tuesdays where Lou like plays music on the show and they talk about the songs that he plays. Sometimes they're original songs. Sometimes they're covers. But um, Lou is an archivist, so he saved a lot of things, audio clips, songs, first drafts, phone messages from his life. Uh, so sometimes on the show, they just play those and he just talks about where he was in his life at the time. So you don't necessarily have to be a big like Lou Barlow, Sebado Dinosaur Jr. fan in order to dig the raw impressions, but it helps. Um, but even if you're not, I recommend giving it giving it a try because it's uh, it's very cozy. It's a cozy cast. You sent me something recently about Taylor Swift. Yes, they so he's a Swifty now. <laughs> well, his, his, his daughter, is. like many people, his daughter is a Swifty. <laughs> so he's a Swifty. Yeah. Can, can I ask a follow up question? Yeah. What, what What's the best Sebado album? The best Sebado album? Yeah. Bake, bake Sale. Oh, wow. Wrong bake answer. Sale. Okay. No, um, what, it's right. not the wrong answer. <gasps> what, okay. What is your answer? Violence. That's the only one I know. Bake I sale? Just wanted, <laughs> I just I just wanted to say wrong answer because I think that's so wrong. I mean, number two is probably Bubble and Scrape, and number three is probably Harmacy. Although the new stuff is great too, you know, the 21st century Sebado is is excellent. But Bake Sale is that album that I own on cassette and on CD and on vinyl because it's. I was I was just guessing that you could actually like fully swap over and have a Sebado podcast out of the gate here. That was just a guess though, but I don't know. <laughs> I probably could. <laughs> anyway, raw impressions. Get it wherever you pod. Lauren, what's your recommendation? I'm going to recommend that people make use of the soft return in Slack. This means instead of just hitting return to send every single message, that you actually hit command return, which is just one extra keystroke, which means it gives you just a little bit of a pause to think about what you're saying before you say it. It would be really easy to just like fire off. And by the way, some people do this kind of staccato messaging in Slack too, where they have a lot of thoughts. And so they send you, you know, seven different lines of thoughts at once instead of putting it together in a cohesive graph. Annoying. 
it happens. <laughs> We've all done it. We do it sometimes on iMessage and WhatsApp and all those apps too. But if you, and usually that happens now in most chat apps where you just hit send and it sends, it returns, right? It happens in like LinkedIn messaging, I think now. If you make it so that you create this friction before you're sending, you're just giving yourself, it's like literally an extra second to look at what you're about to send and be like, oh, do I really need to send that? Sometimes you'll still hit, even if you're used to it, like I am, you'll still hit just return by accident and it doesn't actually send. And then you take a pause and you look at what you wrote and you're like, oh, okay, do I need to, do I need to edit that or just think about it a little bit more. So yeah, I recommend that. Don't be so hasty in your messaging. So is this something that we have to enable or is this just a habit that we have to form? It's both. You it enable is. it first in your Slack and then you just form the habit of doing it. Okay. Occasionally, I will say something happens um, where the X key is right next to the command button that I use on my keyboard. So sometimes I'll write a message and then as I hit the command key, I accidentally hit X. So some of my messages look very British. I look like I'm attaching a, a kiss and X to all my messages. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is really inappropriate. I have to just go back and edit that, <laughs> take out the X. <laughs> like, great, thanks so much. Sending copy now. Kisses. Um, yeah, but other than that, I, I wrote all about this in an, an article in Wired. I think it was last year. Let me, yeah, it was 2022. The soft return and other Slack and Zoom hacks you need. Nice. Just to keep it, I don't know, clean, efficient, and safe as you're slacking and zooming away. Love it. That is my recommendation, and I hope I've saved your life and your lawsuit. All right, that's our show. Matt Honan, thank you again for joining us. It's been such a pleasure. Where can the people find you? Uh, they can find me at MIT Technology Review, which is online at technologyreview.com. We have a great app too. Hope to see you there. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on the socials. Just check the show notes. Our producer is the excellent Boone Ashworth, who's busy slacking away. Goodbye for now. We'll be back next week. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com.